Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in, everybody, to this week's episode of Believe in Bengals. I'm Joe DeLeon filling in for Solomon Wilcots. Uh, he's down at the NFL Combine covering the event. And today, to talk about the NFL Draft, joining me is Luke Easterling, one of the great minds in the NFL Draft coverage space with Sports Illustrated and Athlon. Luke, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. This is going to be a really long offseason, especially for the Bengals, as they're trying to navigate some of the difficulties that they have with their cap situation. And they're in a spot where they need to win the NFL draft. They need to get as many quality picks out of that weekend in order to position themselves as strong as possible in 2024. Not going to be able to spend a ton of money, as we've said. I want to jump in here, Luke, first, talking about looking at this roster, what the biggest needs are, and the ones that you think that maybe need to be addressed in their earliest picks. What stands out to you? Well, I think, you know, depending on who you're talking to, it's – I know there's a lot of fans that want to address the defensive front. You know, I, that's that's the place where I think is, is the most underrated, I think maybe on a national scale. I think everybody wants to point to, and with good reason, you want to point to help Joe Burrow out, right? You want to make sure the offensive line is bolstered, probably at right tackle more than anything. Um, and then obviously you're talking about pass catchers. Cause if you've got, you know, free agency could decimate most of those guys, right? You don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. with T Higgins. I know he's getting the franchise tag, but you don't know if that's a tag and trade situation there. And then, you know, there's really not a whole lot of depth behind him. You got Tyler Boyd hitting free agency. The tight end room is going to kind of be the same thing. So, you know, right tackle wide receiver slash tight end, but really defensive line, especially not sure what's going to happen with DJ reader and coming off an injury. You know, that that's the place where I see if they don't go pass catcher and Joe Burrow help early, it'll be because they really fall in love with an interior defensive lineman uh, that they they really think they, they got to have. Yeah, for me, the the two that, that stand out the most that you just hit on there is finding some sort of protection for Joe Burrow in the first round. And to their advantage, they can maybe wait until the second round because there's surprisingly a lot of really good offensive line talent this year. But the the defensive tackle angle, I think, is is really, really important and I think is good to go to in talking about the Bengals. And I don't know about you, but one guy who, if we're talking about the defensive line specifically, that just constantly pops in my head is Jerjon Newton. Uh, what do you think of the possibility of maybe them going after a guy like Newton, the defensive tackle out of Illinois? Yeah, well, the the, the interior D-line class is really interesting this year. I think there's maybe not the elite, you know, dominant talent who kind of checks every box. Every one of these guys has maybe something about him to where you're like, eh, that's probably why he's not a top 10, top 15 guy. But I like the overall depth of the group in that you have a lot of different types of players. So whatever you happen to need at the position, whether you need a big, you know, multi-gap, you know, run stuffing nose tackle, there's a few of those. If you need a more, you know, upfield penetrating three technique type of guy who can kind of knife into the backfield, even you might be willing to give up some size, in order to get some of that explosiveness, you've got a couple of those guys too. And when you talk about Newton, he's definitely the the latter, right? He's a little bit undersized. I think he's listed at, at under 300 pounds, 6'2". Um, so you're talking about a guy who you want him up the field. You want him shooting gaps. You want him blowing plays up in the backfield. Uh, and I don't think there's anybody that does it better. Byron Murphy, the second from Texas, I think would, I'd put that in, him in that kind of same vein. Another undersized guy, he's listed at 6'1", 305. We all know what listed means in this business, right? We're going to find out right. just how big these guys really are uh, this week in Indy, obviously. But, you know, those two guys, if they need that upfield disruptive guy who's penetrating, those two guys make a lot of sense. You mentioned Newton at 18 
again, if they're not in love with the, the receivers, if they feel like they can wait either on receiver or tackle, because both of those are very deep. I think mm-hmm. the wild card you could throw in there is if Brock Bowers gets anywhere near them at 18. Now you're talking about, okay, maybe a tight end worth, you know, spending an early pick just because I feel like there's such a gap between him and the rest of the tight end class. Uh, but the depth at tackle, the depth at receiver could be there on day two to the point where they look at a guy like Newton and say, man, he's, he's, he's the perfect fit for what we need. He's a game wrecking type. I mean, they're in the AFC North. They just watched what Justin Matabuike did in Baltimore this year. And they're like, Hey, we want that guy. We want a guy who can, who can impact games like that. Uh, and Newton certainly brings that to the table when you look at his film. Bet online remains your top spot for all of your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, NHL are all in full swing. Bet online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V for 50% off your first deposit. That is a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. So I want to I want to dive in specifically on some of these uh team needs and these position needs that you've just brought up here but you brought up I think a really interesting angle that I think there's there's no middle ground there's like so much of a swinging pendulum for what happens with Brock Bowers in this year's draft. I, I personally think that the guy is uh, an unbelievable talent. I, I think that he fits in this rare bucket for tight end prospects where he is just such a dangerous uh, weapon after the catch. He is just so uh, explosive linearly. He is going to be able to beat defenses over the top. But the, the big thing that I was excited about is the progression from past the past season into this season. You saw some improvement with him as a blocker and definitely a willing intent. This is not Kyle Pitts, who is only a receiver. I think that he can be tremendously well-rounded. He almost feels like Travis Kelsey if he, you know, if Travis Kelsey was actually willing to block. But what are your thoughts on that actually happening with him sliding that far? I don't think he falls out of the top 10, but like, do you think there's a realistic world that Bengals fans could end up getting what would be the home run of the draft if if Brock Bowers falls in their lap? I think I saw something the other day that I don't, I think it's been like 30 years or something since the, the Bengals traded up in the first round. Uh, some, I think there's some stat like that, but if he gets close enough and I, I think, I think outside the top 10 is, is realistic. And, and again, not has nothing to do with his talent whatsoever. I think you mentioned he's an incredible talent. I don't know that I've talked to anybody, you know, league media, anybody that has him as, as an outside the top 10 talent. Most people I think mm-hmm. view him as, as a top five or seven prospect if you're just doing grades, you know, in terms of what the talent he brings to the table, it's not the issue. It's, it's, and, and Daniel Jeremiah, I think everybody's seen that clip at this point where he talked earlier this week about, you know, trying to make sense of the salary cap number, you know, paying top dollar at, in a top 10, you know, contract that what that money is for a tight end, a rookie tight end really isn't that far off what the franchise tag number is that you'd be paying him four years down the road. So it's part of it is financial. Part of it is, you know, how much can we get out of a tight end that can be worth that pick? But when I look at him at his best, I see George Kittle. I see a guy who, mm. and because of the blocking ability, if you go back and watch George's experience at Iowa, the reason he was a day three pick was because they really didn't need to feature him in the passing game as much. He had the flashes when when the ball came his way. You could see the potential, but it was hard to hard to project him to be that kind of impact player because he just didn't have the opportunity to do that, which again is a, 
a cardinal rule of this process that I've learned over a long time is that just because a guy wasn't asked to do certain things at the college level doesn't mean he's not capable of doing them at the pro level once he's asked to do them. And I think George Kittle is a prime example of a guy who is absolutely an asset in the ground game as an inline blocker, but is such a matchup problem as a receiver as well, not just in terms of his ability to to separate at the top of the route, but he's just a, a monster after the catch, man. He is so nasty after the catch, breaking tackles, eliminating angles, understanding how to set up defenders and, and just run away from guys. And again, in the SEC too, it's not like he's playing against, you know, lower level competition. He's not running away from guys in the MAC. Uh, you know, and no offense to the Mac or anything. I'm gonna catch some, I'm gonna catch some grief from the Mac fans. Like, hey, man, what is that all about? But, um, but no, I, I, I'm I'm totally with you. I think the world in which he gets close enough to Cincinnati to where maybe they make a move two or three spots up the board to get him. Uh, and again, which I just you know seems like if he gets to Indy at 15, I don't see them not taking him. So mm. they probably had to get ahead of them. Um, but it's just a world in which. I mean, you've got three elite quarterback prospects in this draft. I think you've got three elite, like any other draft would be number one wide receiver, uh, you know, prospects in this draft. You're going to have a couple of uh, offensive tackles go high. At what point do teams decide, you know, the elite talent at all those other premium positions are off the board. I can afford to maybe take what people might consider a luxury pick uh, in an elite tight end and, and take Bowers. And so, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go five. To, to the Chargers, you know, because I think he's that good of a football player. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get down to 14, 15, where teams like Indy and Cincinnati are, are having to have that conversation. I really like that George Kittle comp that you brought up because I, I think just think in general, there's this this strange thought that he's not a physical blocker. I think everyone just sees all the highlights. You see him after the catch. You see him run the you know running all these great routes, and he's such a great receiver. But everyone wants to immediately think. You know, Kyle Pitts, Noah Fant, like these guys that are really good athletes. Oh, he he must not be a good, good blocker. I, I don't get where that comes from. You know, I don't I don't know why. I don't either. I mean, what the offense he played, and he played in Georgia. They run the ball like crazy. I don't. You know, right. you can't survive uh, in that offense really at any position. You can't play wide receiver if you can't block in that offense. Yeah. Right. I don't. I I'm with you. I don't know where that comes from either. And it's funny. I'm 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 not a comp guy. I I really hate pro comps. <laughs> I I do them. Rarely, and I, I only I only point them out when they kind of smack me in the face. When there's one that I just can't avoid, um, and I don't know, man. When I when I see when I see uh, Brock Bowers, I see George Kittle. Yeah, I try not to do too many comps. My my co-host on the first team, Ryan Roberts, always gives me a hard time for for my comps. So I agree with you on that. But again, I love that one. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to ride that one for the rest of this cycle. But speaking about blocking. Seeing Joe Burrow's lack of availability and the impact that it has on the Bengals' success, it completely derailed them making it to the playoffs for obvious reasons. I think it's been pretty clear that this is not a situation that can just keep getting band-aided uh, with low-end free agents or mid-to-late-round guys. Lucky for them that this is a draft class where they could get a tackle in the first round, they could come back around and uh, they can get an interior guy. There's a lot of options for them here because of some quality names on day one and day two in this class. So if we're first talking about these tackles here and we're looking at 18, who do you view as the best options uh, that the the Bengals should realistically target? And it's also worth mentioning there's a, there's a good chance that a lot of these tackles could be off the board before they get to 18 if there is an early run and some people trade up. But who do you look at as the the best options for the Bengals. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the reasons I, I end up, you know, I'm, I'm doing a new mock draft basically every week at this point in the process. And, and 
some people will think that's overkill. And I, I actually love it. I love the opportunity, you know, every week to kind of reassess, you know, where prospects are at, where teams are at, and even just present a different scenario. Like what if, because anywhere up the board, the earlier you go, one pick changes everything. You know, one different pick sets off a, a you know, kind of butterfly effect for everybody picking below that. And so, uh, you know, for the Bengals, the, the reason they seem to always end up with a tackle is partly because, yes, it's a deep tackle class, but I think it's a deep class, tackle class at the top and mm-hmm. and not much after that. I think I think the and, – and to speak to your point, they, they need guys who can play now. You know, they, they if they're going to take a tackle in this draft, it can't be a developmental guy in my opinion. They need a guy who can step in, particularly on the right side, and play. And I think the advantage they have is at 18, I think there's going to be multiple plug-and-play starters who have a lot of experience – particularly at right tackle. I think they're in a great spot to get the type of player they need to make an immediate impact, which is why I would be less inclined to see them wait until day two, even though it's technically a deep class. I would be better off if, I, if, if I'm in that seat. I take my chances with receiver and even defensive line probably on day two um, as opposed to offensive tackle because if I've got a chance at 18 to get, you know, Probably Taliesi Fuaga is probably off the board by that point. He, he'd probably be my, my top prize. Again, guy who's got a lot of experience at right tackle. Um, after that, you've got J.C. Latham from Alabama. You've got uh, Amarius Mims from Georgia. You've got Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. These are all guys that played damn good football at right tackle in Power 5 conferences. Great athletes. Different Bring some different things to the table in terms of upside and experience and, and athleticism and power and all these things. But three or four guys that if any one of them is on the board at 18, if I'm the Bengals, I feel really, really good about being able to plug that guy in and have a huge improvement at that position long-term. Yeah. You, you bring up the, the really key aspect of this, that there really isn't after we start to move past that, that really dominant top group of Olufashanu, Joe Alt, Talese Fuaga, uh, JC Latham, it, it starts to really thin out there. And I, I think the, the best part of what you bring up is that they really can't afford to bring in a young guy that's that, that they're expecting to maybe take a year or so to, to get to that point. And the, the two that come to mind that I think are available and on the board, but do not make sense for the Bengals are Kingsley Somatea from BYU and Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. Could they end up being fantastic pros for them? Absolutely. But the problem that we come into what you're talking about here, it, it's almost worse for them to throw out kids that need to maybe fully fill out, fill out their frames and, and really refine their technique because they're going to make mistakes. And that is what is just going to lead to Joe Burrow getting hit more, possibly more than he did last year. So they need to prioritize maybe even moving up to go and get uh, one of these premier guys. If maybe the last one of that top five grouping ends up uh, ends up being out of their hands. Yeah, and I think the big problem for them to, to speak to the need to move up is look at the draft order. Look at all those teams in front of them. You start, you know, with, uh, I mean, we could go as early as, as four or five, depending on how the first three picks go. You know, you could, you know, if Harrison's off the board, does Arizona take a tackle? Maybe, you know, so they can, you know, DJ Humphreys got hurt at the end of last season. Um, he's older, going to be more expensive. Maybe they want to, you know, either keep Paris Johnson on that side or, or have somebody to switch him out with that, that's younger. You got the Chargers at five, who, again, wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Jim Harbaugh wants to make his first pick an offensive lineman and, and build that physical, you know, run the ball and, and trench mentality. 
Um, but so many other teams, Tennessee's got to have a tackle almost. You know, you get look at the Jets where they're obviously going to look and they don't have a second round pick. So they know they have to nail that pick um, kind of in the similar boat. Right. They need a guy who's going to Im- have an impact right away. They can't wait around for a guy to protect Aaron Rodgers. So we don't have a reprise <laughs> of, of what happened there. They need somebody who's going to make an immediate impact, too. But look at so many teams, you know, even outside the top 10 before they get there. You've got um, you know, you've got what that's. um a couple of teams picking after them, but you've got Indy at, at 15 could be in that range. Uh, you got the uh, the Saints at 14 who need to retool their offensive line and both tackle spots need help there. There's too many teams, I feel like, ahead of them to where if, if they really do have their eyes locked on a couple of those those guys, I think Latham and Fuaga could be uh, the two. You talk about Mims. Mims is another guy where the athleticism and the tools are, are off the charts, might be the most you know physically gifted tackle in the class. There's just no film. I mean, you know, very few starts, missed a good chunk of the 2023 season with that ankle injury. And so you're just, there's so much projection there uh, that you're just having to, to kind of, you know, take a, take a risk on because the talent is there and the tools are there. Um, but, but Fuaga and Latham are, are guys that have a ton of snaps again, particularly at right tackle that, that if, if they lock into one or two of those guys, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to move up the board to make sure they have not just the talent, but the guy who's going to be able to plug and play and make an immediate impact there. Right. It's really funny to talk about how there's so much talent in the offensive line group and then consider all these teams that, that need offensive linemen. Could make things difficult for this weird spot that Cincinnati's sitting in at 18. To touch on the the interior guys, I, I really only see one being a viable option at 18, that being Troy Fotanu, the Washington interior offensive lineman. But as we move past him and we talk a little bit on day two, who are some of the guys that you like on day two? I'll throw one out just to start you off. I, I really like Christian Haynes from UConn. He is so physical, uh, very underrated athlete, and he had himself a really nice uh, week in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I really like the interior class too. And, and I think part of the reason I like it is so much versatility, right? There's so many guys that can play multiple positions. Uh, and I think you speak about Christian Haynes, the other Christian, Christian Mahogany from Boston College, I think is an underrated player mm. uh, in that group. I love Cooper Beebe from uh, from Kansas State. I think he's another guy that, you know, maybe not, you know, outlandish in terms of the physical ability, but I just I feel like the floor is so high with him. I feel like he's, you know, an instant guard starter that you can forget about for the next 10 or 12 years. I know that's a cliche we use a lot, but, you know, that's just he's just a nasty dude who knows what he's doing and, and knows his <laughs> role, knows his spot. Uh, and the film is pretty clean there. So. Um, if you need a guy who can play center or a guard, you got Zach Frazier from uh, from West Virginia, who I like a lot. I think Jackson Powers Johnson obviously is a is a first round guy, um, but once you get to day two, Graham Barton is an interesting guy. I'm not sure his range could kind of be all over the place. You could see him go in the top 25 to some of those teams that need a versatile lineman, guy who can play five positions. Right, he can play center, he can play guard, he can play tackle. Um, most of his snaps being at tackle, but but I think he's probably a, a nice big center at the next level. Um, but he can play guard too. So it, it, his range could be anywhere from 25 to 50, which you start getting into that day two Bengals range there. Um, but man, I, I feel like on day two, the guy I'm, I'm most confident in it because of that high floor. I just really like Cooper Beebe, his ability to step in right away as, as an immediate guard. You know what his role is going to be and, and you're going to be able to forget about him. Yeah, Beebe feels like a Cincinnati Bengal. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but he is... He is just a mauling presence, would be perfect protecting Joe Burrow. I want to flip to the defensive side of the ball. We talked a little bit about defensive tackle, but I I think that cornerback could be discussed if we're talking about the Bengals, just defensive back 
in in general could make some sense. Not in the early rounds, but as we we kind of progress a little bit later on in the draft. The safety class is very meh. It's not very exciting. There's some quality uh, slot guys like Javon Bullard, somebody who comes to mind. But if, if we're looking in the late day two, early day three range, just on some of these defensive backs, who are some of the guys that you like that could end up being maybe some steals at the defensive back position? Yeah, safety class is weird, right? We've got no first round picks, I think. I don't think there's a first round safety in this class. Um, but a ton of day two guys that I really, really like. You know, I'm a big Tyler Newbin fan. He's the, the best safety in this draft, I think, out of Minnesota. I'm a little bit spoiled being a Tampa guy and, and seeing what Antoine Winfield has done over the last four years. And then you show me another Minnesota safety <laughs> who can kind of do everything and play single high and come down in the box and, and it just has great ball skills, great instincts, knows how to sniff everything out, whether it's run or pass. And I'm like, yes, I will take two of those. I will have another one of those, please. Um, <laughs> but I, I just love Tyler Newman, just a big play guy who can who can really do it all. It doesn't really have a deficiency, I don't think. Um, obviously, the two Miami guys, Cam Kinchins and and, uh, and Williams, depending on what you need from the position, right? Williams is almost a, a big uh, linebacker hybrid at his size and his frame. Um, but man, there's just so many guys in that in that range. You mentioned Bullard. Um, Kalen Bullock, if you really just need the center fielder, you don't need your guy to come down in the box. If you just need the center field, you know, ball hawking type of, of single high guy, I think he would be your guy. Um, but two guys that I really, really like that I don't think are getting enough love, Jaden Hicks from Washington State, who's finally starting to get, I think, a little bit of a buzz um, after the Senior Bowl. And then Bo Braid out of Maryland is a guy that mm -hmm. that third, fourth round range, another, again, versatile athletic guy uh, that I think gives you some pop in the run game and is, is not lost in coverage. He's another name to keep an eye on if you want to get value there. Last question I got for you is, uh, and I love asking draft guys this as a, as a draft guy myself, if there is just one player in the class, regardless of pick range, I mean, it's it's always even better when it ends up being a late pick guy, but if there's one prospect that you think isn't getting talked about enough that you would pound the table for, who do you think that guy would be? Jarvis Brownlee Jr., uh, is, is my guy. I think going into the senior bowl, he was kind of my, like my under the radar guy. And I thought he, he really had a hell of a senior bowl and kind of blew. I was like, damn, he's not going to be my sleeper anymore. So, <laughs> um, but I think, I think because this corner class has so many, you know, big time program guys, guys that we've been kind of expecting for a while, the two Alabama guys, you got, um, you know, even Quinion Mitchell as a, as a smaller school guy from the, the group of five moving up with, with the way he's played. I feel like it's still deep enough to where a guy like Brownlee is still going to kind of get lost in the shuffle in that mid-round range. And, man, I just I think he's such a solid football player. I think you can play him outside. You can play him in the slot. He, he's, you know, my – you don't have to be able to play the run to be a successful corner, especially outside at this level. Man, when it, when it comes to my evaluations, I'm, I'm super biased against corners that just love to – that just love contact and don't shy away from it. Are you a, are you a willing participant? Are you an initiator? in the physicality of the game or are you a bystander? Are you a guy that by your body language, when you're watching tape, if they're running the ball near you, are you kind of acting like you're hopeful that someone else is going to make the tackle before you kind of arrive at the pile? Like, Hey, I did, I did something. And, and man, when you put the tape on with Brownlee, he's just so physical, loves to shed blocks, uh, great ball skills and knows how to, to make plays when the ball gets around him. So he's a guy that I think, again, even after the strong senior bowl, don't think he's getting enough love. Well, I echo that sentiment about needing safeties who who want to tackle so, or defensive backs who want to tackle. Uh, definitely something that's over overlooked quite a bit. Well, Luke, I really appreciate you hopping on with us here and, and talking about the 2024 NFL draft. 
Before we get out of here, where can everybody find all your great work so they can catch up with you? Uh, maybe for uh, the Bengals throughout this process, or maybe somebody who's watching for another team, where can they catch your stuff? Yeah, so I'm uh, all the content that I'm working on right now is uh, on the SI draft site. So you can go to si.com slash NFL slash draft. Uh, and then we're, we're really excited because I don't know if you're like me, man, I, growing up and, and falling in love with this process from such an early age. One of the things I look forward to every year was that Athlon Sports NFL draft guide that mm. you would get at the grocery store or you know, Walmart, wherever there was a magazine rack. I know I probably annoyed the crap out of the Barnes and Noble people for years and years and years. Um, but man, I was, I was so lucky to be able to, to be heavily involved in this year's issue, man. And, and, and being able to, to write all the player blurbs and the mock draft and all the teams. So I, I got to do so much of that stuff. It was, it's just, I literally had to pinch myself and be like, man, this is my job now. This is so cool to be able to write this. And, and so that just hit newsstands this week. You can order it online, but man, if you're, if you're a sucker for physical media like me, I know so much of the work we do is online now. Uh, but man, there's just something special about holding that magazine in your hands. And, and I love the fact that I got to work on this year. So, uh, uh, go out there and buy a copy and ensure that we can keep making them because uh, it was a lot of fun to make this one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.